Welcome to this very special version of the Pen and the Yad for Rosh Hashanah. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshayemet Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about Rosh Hashanah and the messiness of redemption. Do you ever think about redemption? Do you ever think about the moment when you actually get there and everything um, is what you wanted it to be or where a wish was fulfilled, something you really long for, and you find out that having it is more challenging than you realized. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm not sure that I've ever felt as if I've actually ever completely experienced redemption because it's, I'm not sure it's ever conclusive. You know, you want something, you feel like this is what you're working toward. And do you ever really get there? Because when you get there, it looks different. Right? It's kind right. of like the, uh, the oasis in the desert. When you get there, it's, it's not there at all, or it's certainly different than you had dreamed of. I, I think we live with that idea of what's it going to be like and how will it be when this happens or that happens. And then when we are actually in those moments uh, offered the opportunity to really have that moment, somehow it, it often is, is more messy and challenging than we had ever realized it yeah, would be. No doubt about it. And I, I wonder, you know, even if we can start with a definition, how do you define redemption? If that's the uh, if that's the goal, well, let's look at let's look at the Torah for Rosh Hashanah because I think it lays out a paradigmatic story. Sarah and Abraham are well on in years. Sarah is in her late eighties. Abraham in his late nineties. They have left everything that they knew to follow this God and the promise that they would have children to carry on this covenant and that ultimately they would grow into a great nation and take the land and build this light, this society that would reflect the light of God. Problem was that they didn't have any children. Abraham took Hagar and he had a child with her, Sarah's handmaiden, Ishmael. And God says, no, this is not going to be that way. You're going to have a child with Sarah. That's going to be the one. And that's where our story of Rosh Hashanah comes in, because it says, God remembered Sarah just as God said he would. And she does have a child. She has a child at the age of 90, which is a miracle on any scale. But with that moment where her greatest wish was fulfilled, a whole slew of very difficult, very messy issues arises. What do you do now with Hagar, who, by the way, Abraham has feelings for? What do you do with Ishmael, who Abraham loves as his son? How does that all work out? And we suddenly realize that it gets really messy, and Abraham is asked to cast out. Sarah actually demands that he cast out Hagar and Ishmael into the wilderness, which is basically casting them out into death, and God actually backs Sarah up. This is our very happy Torah reading for Rosh Hashanah. God remembers us, yes. God doesn't leave us, yes. God remembers the promises that God made, but it may not be the panacea that you thought it would be. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with the our dreams of life and the reality of life. Wow. I mean, that's a heavy, heavy question. But I think to me, it's inescapable that you're always going to have these dreams and then realize when you, when you get closer to them or when you achieve some of it, that it's, it's not what you expect and things have changed. You know, I spend my time, much of my time writing books about people and trying to figure out what motivates them. What is 
the redemption that they seek and what happens to them. You know, how do they deal with it when they achieve, when they fail? And, and right now I'm reading about Martin Luther. I'm working on a book about Martin Luther King Jr., as you know, and, and here's a guy who did not plan to become a civil rights leader. He, he went into the ministry thinking he'd be a priest and then maybe a college professor in a seminary someday. That was his life's goal. And he finds himself thrust into this bus boycott in Montgomery that changes his life. And his initial goal is to, is to get through this bus boycott to win the rights for the people of Montgomery and then to go back to his life. But the goal line keeps changing. Well, once he accomplishes that, he feels the need to accomplish it in other cities. And once they begin attacking segregation in other cities, he sets a different goal and becomes in true equality, economic and racial equality. And every time he, you know, he, he gets a step closer, it feels like he's getting a step farther away and he never feels any sense of achievement. He never feels any sense of redemption. Uh, it's the struggle just continues and continues. And that's somebody who we would consider one of the most successful and heroic uh, people of our time. And he's cut down. And, he, and on top of it, those people who shared his dream and who he lifted up with his oratory and his courage also dealt with that shattering blow of watching him killed. Talk about messy. Not only watching him killed, but also watching him fail. And and he felt like a failure at the end of his life. He felt like he had not done what he set out to do. I found an interview where he said, we've certainly changed the laws. We've done a great job with the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act and Brown versus Board of Education. But it's going to take longer before we have true equality, before black people are truly equal citizens. And the reporter said, well, when? And he said, well, certainly by 1999, by the turn of the century, I think we will be living in a truly equal society in America and of course, he expected to to live to see that day. He would have certainly been, um, you know, how old would he have been in 1999? He would have been um, 70 years old and might well have been there, to, certainly expected to be alive to see that. And he he really thought that was possible. And now here we are, you know, 20 years past that date and not anywhere close to fulfilling his vision. I think that that's exactly what Sarah is dealing with, because the reality is, is they took some powerful steps. But are we going to be ready to face the reality and to make the changes that are going to be necessary when the opportunity presents itself? So let me just kind of shift this a little bit. All of us share a dream right now that the day is going to come when a cure will be found for COVID-19, a vaccine of some sort, and that we will be able to function again. We'll be able to stop wearing masks when we go outside. We'll be able to sit down in a restaurant or have people over to our home and not be, you know, six feet apart or give a friend a hug or, you know, and on and on it goes. And that's the dream. But what COVID-19 has also done is that it's cast a very bright, harsh light on inequalities in our society, health inequalities, economic inequalities. It has created chaos, economic chaos in our country, and we are going to be called upon to recreate our society. And I guess the question is, that is a very messy endeavor, and are we really going to be up to it because it is so hard? Or are we going to pretend and try and sweep it under the carpet and say, 
let's just go forward and leave everything else alone. Yeah, but uh, what's the alternative? The alternative is to do nothing. Right. That's not an option. Well, wait a second. What would Dr. King say if he heard this conversation? He would say that you have to keep fighting. That you, you know, you um, if you if you can't run and walk, if you can't walk, crawl. But whatever you do, you keep going. Yes, but he would also, I think, say to you, Jonathan. Well, wait a minute. People do nothing. That's exactly what happened. We took a step forward and people counseled patients. You know, look what you got now. The people are really good at doing nothing as opposed to facing the messiness of life. By the way, that's exactly what Abraham wanted to do. Abraham wanted to leave everything alone. We'll all work out. We'll figure it out. And Sarah said, no, that's not happening. You have to cast them out. This child that I'm going to bear, Isaac, this is going to be the one who is going to redeem. And I'm not going to let anything get in the way of that. That is a very harsh solution, and it's also incredibly messy. And so, again, where are we going to be on the other end of COVID-19? Are we going to be willing to go into the goop and create a different solution? Or are we going to try and kind of paper it over and say, let's just get on with it. Let's just go on with our lives and maintain the structures as they were. Well, that's the that's the big question. It's also the question that I think we all ask ourselves every year, COVID or not, at Rosh Hashanah. What are we committing to do? How much does, are we willing to put our own selves into this fight, into making the world a better place? The bright side of COVID is that it's a wake-up call, and, and we've, we have been awakened to our inequalities like never before. We have been awakened to the injustices in a, in a way that is deeply upsetting and calls out, cries out, begs for redemption, for action. So what are we going to do about it, each and every one of us? Well, here, here's the thing. As you're talking, I'm thinking about what's happening right now. I know this podcast is designed for Rosh Hashanah, but right now on the streets of major cities, protests are taking place, and there is an increasingly violent response to these protests. And I can't say where things are going to be in the next couple of weeks, but things are ramping up in a way. And in a way, there are people who are saying, you know what, this is too messy. The violence that has developed, the looting, the rioting and all this, this is an excuse for us to simply say, you know what, forget it. We, we just need to clamp down on this situation and create safer streets without dealing with the underlying issues of inequality. And so we can forego the messiness of that argument simply by bringing out the National Guard. Yeah, and you've got... Um... Other people who feel like the solution is to pick up their own guns and to go out and enforce the laws. So it's it's getting messier and messier. How do we get to redemption? That's the question. And are we going to be prepared when it comes? When the opportunity arises, what will it look like? What will it feel like? Are we ready? Before we got on today, you were sharing the lyrics of a song by Bob Marley about that, which I think really speaks to this. You want to share them? Yeah, redemption song. How long shall they kill our prophets while we stand aside and look? Some say it's just a part of it. We've got to fulfill the book. Won't you help them sing these songs of freedom? Because all I ever have, redemption songs, redemption songs. Emancipate yourselves from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. Oh, have no fear of atomic energy because none of them can stop the time. How long shall they kill our prophets while we stand aside and look? Some say it's just a part of it. We've got to fulfill the book. Won't you help me sing these songs of freedom? 
I love that. It is, that's such a powerful idea of, you know, redemption delayed, right? We're here, but we're not here. And so I guess if I had a prayer for this Rosh Hashanah, one of them would be that we would have the courage to face the challenges of this moment as messy as they are, and that all of us keep our eyes on the prize, to not let those people who are violent and that are not part of the solution, and that could be people who are bringing long guns to rallies looking for trouble, or those people who are looting, or those people who are looking to stir up greater greater conflict with police and creating situations like that, the vast majority of Americans can see where we need to go. The question is, do we have the courage to face the messiness to get there? That's what Sarah was willing to do, and she made some incredibly hard choices. And I think that that's a very powerful message for us this Rosh Hashanah. What's your Rosh Hashanah prayer, if you have one? Uh, I'll let Bob Marley carry me. I'll say, won't you help to sing these songs of freedom? Let's hope that, God willing, we'll still be talking next Rosh Hashanah and that we will be singing a different song. Thanks, Jonathan, and Shana Tova. Shana Tova. How long shall they kill our prophets while we stand aside and look? Some say it's just a part of it. We've got to fulfill the book Won't you help to sing These songs of freedom Cause all I ever have Redemption songs Redemption songs Redemption